the garden. At the beginning of August, two mass shootings rocked the U.S. The first, which took place in a busy Walmart store in El Paso, Texas, and killed at least 21 people, is believed to have been a hate crime. Like any um, uh, mass shooting in the United States, what we have seen is the city kind of shut down. People react in fear, frankly. The streets were empty yesterday afternoon and well into the evening. Restaurants, bars that are generally quite popular or busy on a Saturday night uh, simply closed. And it was really out of not a sense of... The suspect at time of recording is a 21-year-old white man who is alleged to have posted a manifesto online presenting his rationale for murdering those he targeted. And the connection to Achan was particularly concerning right from the start because this is a pattern that we've seen in multiple deadly incidents. It really only took a few hours for journalists like myself and others to start looking into whether the connection to Achan was real. This so-called manifesto was posted on an extremist message board called 8chan. And as the shooting took place, anonymous users of the site were posting messages supporting the shooter's actions and calling him our guy. Among all these posts of admiration, someone wrote, quote, that's it. This website is getting shut down. It has simply taken a really long time to get companies to face any kind of ramifications around what is happening on their sites. And, you know, I think that with 8chan and with the other companies that were enabling it to keep going, it's a really, you know, kind of frightening indictment of where things are that it took what appear to be uh, something like 73 deaths for that message to really come home that this was not acceptable. Will 8chan be able to come back from this? And if it can't, is that an indication that society will no longer accept the spread of hate speech online? Or will we just see the birth of a new site that provides more of the same? I'm Jordan Erica Weber, and this week I explore whether websites like 8chan are destined to disappear. This is Chips With Everything. My name is Julia Carey Wong. I'm a technology reporter for The Guardian, uh, based in our West Coast Bureau, which is in Oakland, California, close to San Francisco. Julia has been covering the fallout around 8chan since the mass shootings happened at the start of the month. Before we got into what will happen next, I asked her to take me all the way back to the beginning. 8chan is one variant on a particular type of website, The chans, as they're known, are kind of, they started out as text-based message boards and then evolved into image boards. These are kind of these sprawling message boards that enable a lot of anonymity and encourage a lot of kind of creativity and, uh, you know, engaging in memes. During the uh, early 2000s, 4chan, which is one of the grandfathers of the Chan movement, 4chan was the source of a lot of internet culture that was more aimed at fun and trickery and humor than it was at some of the darker stuff that the Chans have devolved into. 
A-chan had already been established in 2013 by the founder, Frederick Brannon, and he had created it because at one point, the owner of 4chan had briefly shut down a board that he enjoyed spending time on. And in response to this, uh, Frederick Brannon made a new site called 8chan, or sometimes it was called Infinity Chan, based on an 8 if you turn it to the side as the infinity symbol. The fundamental idea of 8chan was that the owner would never delete boards. He would leave it to the users to moderate themselves, make up their own rules for their various different boards. 8chan wasn't that popular for about the first year of its existence. But then, in the summer of 2014, Gamergate happened. Violent depictions of women being beaten, raped, and run over by cars. It's not the movies, it's video games. And now the women calling... Gamergate is a hashtag used by people participating in a harassment campaign against progressivism in video game culture. After a female video game developer was falsely accused of an unethical relationship with a journalist, people began to send her rape threats and death threats and released her personal information, a practice known as doxing, and this harassment soon spread to other women, feminists, and other marginalised and progressive people in games. Eventually, the founder of 4chan, Chris Poole, decided enough was enough, and started to take down the boards that mentioned Gamergate. Supporters of Gamergate were infuriated with this decision, and looked elsewhere for a home. Frederick Brennan welcomed them with open arms. And at that point, a mass exodus of the most committed Gamergaters went to 8chan. And according to reporting at the time, Frederick Brannon was very welcoming of them and said, you know, absolutely come on over. And 8chan then became the home site of people who were too extreme even for 4chan, which is a pretty extreme site. As well as Gamergators, 8chan also welcomed in the conspiracy theory board QAnon, which had also been kicked off 4chan. Quote-unquote Q is a shadowy figure who has been using 8chan to post messages that he claims are clues to a vast and very complicated, quote-unquote, deep state conspiracy theory involving pedophiles and supposedly forces that are embedded in the U.S. government that are trying to bring down uh, Donald Trump's presidency, among other things. But it's largely nonsensical and incredibly convoluted. It also involves a lot about uh, the Kennedys and and other uh, strange, disconnected things. In the last six months, the far-right message board has faced enormous criticism for allowing various white supremacists and domestic terrorists to use the site to tell people of their plans to perpetrate mass shootings. Before this latest incident, however, 8chan barely responded. So 8chan is currently owned by a man named Jim Watkins, who in about 2015 took over the site from its original founder. And not a huge amount is known about Jim Watkins. He is a U.S. military veteran who currently lives in the Philippines. And Watkins has has done very little to defend or engage with the critics of his site. 
after the Christchurch massacre, he simply stayed the course as far as, you know, maintaining that the only rule is going to be things that are against U.S. law, which very much limits government restriction of speech to anything beyond uh, child abuse or child exploitation material and really direct threats. So he has continued to keep a hands-off approach and, and has simply not addressed the critics. As far as people who use 8chan, the response to these attacks in many cases has been cheering, encouraging, and celebratory, which is part of what the deep concern about this site is, is that you know many people are anonymously offering encouragement to others to undertake these same horrific acts in order to gain praise and notoriety from this community of anonymous HNRs. So on August 3rd, 2019, a man shot and killed more than 20 people in El Paso. What was happening on 8chan at that time? About 20 minutes before the first 911 call came in from the Walmart in El Paso, the so-called manifesto was uploaded to 8chan. Very quickly, a couple people responded with encouragement and very quickly this document was downloaded and then began to be re-uploaded by other users on the sites. In some cases with encouragement about the importance or messages about the importance of spreading that information. So other people on the site took personal responsibility to say, I'm going to download this and then re-upload it in order to make it harder to scrub this from the internet, which is what happened with the horrific videos and copies of the live streaming of the Christchurch massacre. Throughout the day on 8chan, I was dipping in and out just to watch. There's discussion of a quote-unquote high score which is a reference to the number of fatalities as those numbers started to come out on uh, Saturday evening. Folks, anons on the site referring to the suspect as quote unquote, our guy, very much identifying him as being part of that community. As journalists like myself and others started to identify that if this manifesto was real and, and it did turn out that there was a strong link to HN, that this would be the third mass shooting announced in advance on this site, as that message started to get out, people on the site also started to express anticipation that the site would be shut down, that this would be the incident that forced Chan off the internet just because it was such a high death toll. After the break, we'll look at what happened in the week following the El Paso mass shooting and discuss whether this event will lead to Chan's downfall. I think it's likely that HN itself, it might get back onto the surface web, but it's highly unlikely that it will be kind of as stable and popular, I would guess, as it was before. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Chips With Everything. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. This week, I'm talking to Guardian Tech reporter Julia Carey Wong about the role 8chan played in one of the latest mass shootings to happen in the US. Before the break, we heard about 8chan's past. But when the suspected shooter posted his so-called manifesto to 8chan 20 minutes before he entered that Walmart, he may not have realised he was going to affect the website's future. 
At the time of recording, 8chan is down, and not because its owner, Jim Watkins, has taken it down. 8chan is down because it lost the protection of a web infrastructure provider called Cloudflare. Cloudflare is a company that is involved with a huge number of the sites that you use every day, but that is completely invisible to the normal reader. It provides, among other things, protection against DDoS attacks, which is when hackers will decide to send huge amounts of traffic towards a site, it's fake traffic, in order to attempt to bring that site down. And what Cloudflare does is it sits in between all of the traffic and the site and kind of siphons out the fake traffic in order to keep a a website from going down based on a DDoS attack. So they're not actually hosting the material and they're not engaged in the actual content. For years, Cloudflare fought any criticism they faced over who they chose to provide their services to. But eventually, they had to listen to the critics. For several years now, Cloudflare's decision to be completely content neutral in who they provide their services to has meant that it has faced criticism for providing those services to really abhorrent and, in some cases, dangerous websites. There was an expose in early 2017 about the fact that Cloudflare was protecting the Daily Stormer, a neo-Nazi a white supremacist website that has been kind of the staging ground for some really frightening and, and vehement anti-Semitic and, and racist harassment campaigns. And Cloudflare had staked itself on a principle saying it is not the job of the intermediary, the filtration service, it is not that position's job to be a censor. And they had a, a kind of a philosophical belief that when it comes to internet content moderation, that should occur at the level of companies like Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or Google, which you know curate and promote content, but that it should not come at the level of straightforward infrastructure that doesn't actually uh, come into contact directly with that content. Producer Danielle was watching your tweets on Saturday and Sunday as you talked about your interactions with Cloudflare's CEO, Matthew Prince. And he went back and forth on what to do. What was his final decision and why did he come to it? Matthew Prince decided on Sunday afternoon or evening that he was going to fire HN as a client and no longer provide it with any of the, the protection against DDoS attacks. I actually interviewed him around 10 p.m. on Saturday, uh, so, you know, 12 hours after the massacre. And at that point, we had a long conversation. He talked to me for about 40 minutes, and he reiterated his commitment to neutrality and also to the idea, which he was focusing on at the time, that keeping HN within the normal parts of the Internet and within his own network that would allow law enforcement and investigators to have more visibility into what was happening on 8chan. His argument was that if he kicked 8chan off in the same way that he had decided two years earlier to kick the Daily Stormer off, that the site would still survive. It would have to move to a less reputable service. It might have to move to services, you know, based in other countries, but it would still exist. And instead of having a company like Cloudflare, which, 
you know, cooperates with law enforcement requests and warrants, it might go into a place where law enforcement would have no visibility into what is happening. That argument did not last for another 24 hours. By Sunday, he was reconsidering. Uh, It's reported that he spent much of the day in conversation with staff and various advisors at the company until Sunday evening, they announced that they were going to cut HN off and HN was removed from Cloudflare's kind of zone of protection at midnight on that Sunday night. Matthew Prince wasn't wrong when he assumed that if Cloudflare decided to fire HN as a client, then another company would just swoop in and take on the site instead. But it didn't exactly go to plan. So what happened was HN switched to another company called BitMitigate, um, which is also providing DDoS mitigation services. And BitMitigate had a brief burst of attention because it is also the company that started to provide protection to uh, the Daily Stormer after the Daily Stormer was kicked off Cloudflare. BitMitigate took on 8chan, and very quickly, the company that BitMitigate depended on for service space, Epic, cut off BitMitigate. So one of the things that is confusing about the web is that all of these different companies are relying on all of these other companies, each of whom has their own decisions. I think that all of these companies saw what, you know, saw the kind of public pressure that was placed on Cloudflare and the ones that, you know, have a reputation to protect are increasingly hesitant to have any association with a site like HN. And so that kind of zone of untouchableness might be expanding. And that's what we saw happen with BitMitigate. At this point, HN remains down and the systems administrator has been saying on on Twitter that he's working on getting the site back up, but it is possible that it, it will be forced onto the dark web where you have to have a special programs to access it and it will it will be kind of quarantined from the regular internet that your average browser can just access easily from a regular browser. All of this proved too much to ignore, and eventually 8chan's owner, Jim Watkins, who had stayed quiet on previous occasions, decided to speak up. What a sad weekend. I just finished watching the President of the United States, give his condolences to the families of the victims of the El Paso Walmart shooting and the Dayton, Ohio shooting. It is a tragedy for those families. Wednesday morning, Jim Watkins uploaded a statement to YouTube. He appears on video very seriously reading this statement um, with the strains of taps behind him in this giant backdrop of Benjamin Franklin. And he expressed uh, a certain amount of condolences towards the victims of these uh, tragedies, uh, but also took the chance to kind of lash out at various easy targets and also make some very questionable claims. He accused the press of lacking credibility in criticizing it and pointing out that there is a lot of, uh, that there has been a lot of illegal activity on the site. He also uh, lashed out at Matthew Prince, said that Cloudflare had acted in a cowardly manner without thinking. And he claimed without providing any evidence that the manifesto was actually first posted on Instagram. And he claimed, again, without offering any evidence, that the person who ended up posting the document onto 8chan 
was not the alleged shooter. There's no real way right now to uh, verify this statement, and he offered no evidence to support it. Uh, a spokeswoman for Instagram very quickly said that they have found absolutely no evidence to support this theory, though. The suspect in the El Paso shooting did have an Instagram account, which the company shut down once they knew who the suspect was on Saturday. Uh, but Instagram is saying that that account had not been active for more than a year before the shooting. Julia explains that we don't know exactly what the 8chan users themselves think of the whole thing, but this silence could be dangerous. We have been working on reporting and trying to find out some of the places that they, you know, that these users might have gone as they've been dispersed. There is a good chance, you know, that a lot of this discussion is going to move into private or places. Private Discord servers are um, a popular kind of way to have a massive group chat without very much visibility. And, and Discord has tools that can allow for kind of vetting of people before they enter into a room. Certainly on 4chan, there has been a lot of chatter about not wanting to accept what are being called HN refugees because, you know, many people on that site find HNers to just be too much and they don't want them to come back. There are a, a host of other kind of alternative chans that are out there and we'll see if any of them become major meeting points. But it does seem likely that much of this activity could be pushed into less public, possibly, you know, encrypted spaces. Another option that, that folks are, are speculating would be that they would move onto Telegram um, and have more uh, encrypted chats that would, with less visibility to the public. Do you think 8chan will survive this? I think it's possible that, that some version of 8chan will remain uh, on the internet. I mean, the internet is very difficult to police and, and uh, there are so many different levels of places that things can be hosted. I'm skeptical at the moment that 8chan as it existed prior to Saturday is going to come back in the same form. It might get back onto the surface web, but it's highly unlikely that it will be kind of as stable and popular, I would guess, as it was before. So even if, you know, 8chan in its current form is gone, can we claim that as a victory over the kinds of people who use it? I, I definitely don't think that 8chan going down is going to be a particularly meaningful victory as far as the kind of global threat that white nationalism is posing right now. Shutting down 8chan is a, a bump in the road, I think, for that movement. And it's important, I would say, that this movement be forced to face as many bumps in the road as possible. It needs to be challenged from all sides. This is a, this is a deadly and dangerous ideology. I think it is a victory as far as helping to move people further into the mindset that we need to be combating this violent, 
ideology and the people that are trying to push it and the people that are trying to recruit people with fun and jokes on the internet and then get them sucked into this mindset. But I think that, you know, there's a lot more that needs to be done. Taking down 8chan is not going to win that much bigger battle. I'm sure this isn't the end of the 8chan story. We'll be following it closely on Chips. Huge thanks to Julia Carrie Wong for joining me on the show this week. You can find all of her work on 8chan and other tech stories on The Guardian website. Chips is produced by Danielle Stevens. I'm Jordan Erica Weber. Thanks for listening. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts.